What is up? This is Ryan here. Got an awesome guest on today. I'm Scott McCready. Scott was the former global head of managed security services for Symantec, is the founder of a company called Soul Cyber, and he's having 4x growth this year, 4x projected growth next year. On top of it, he drops an amazing framework to get your customers drooling over your solution. Yes, I said drooling. That's right. Um, drooling over your solution towards the end of the episode. You have to check this out if you're trying to figure out product market fit. If you're trying to figure out you know, how to create an offer that kills, check this out. You won't want to miss it. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Scott McCready. Scott is the CEO and founder of SoulCyber, a company that offers managed security services, some really cool things about Scott. He's worked at massive companies at leadership positions like EDS, IBM. It was a global GM in terms of the managed security services at Symantec. Scott, happy to have you on the show, man. Welcome. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. Uh, security. I've had a few security founders on my show. Actually, one was uh, Andrew Peterson from Signal Sciences. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but um, pretty cool story sold. I think for like $835 million in eight years. Uh, and so uh, I'm sure that's on the journey that you're on as well. But before we get too deep into your backstory, we'd love to hear about just like a real quick revenue rundown in terms of where you're at in the stage of the journey. So where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? Yeah. So, I mean, Ryan, we've been selling for, geez, about a year now. Um, so we're seven figures. We grew uh, this year. We'll, we'll about quadruple you know, our revenue for the year. Uh, we're on a quarter by quarter, sort of doubling our revenue every quarter, which has been great. Um, Q4 is a little bit slower. Uh, and I think we'll be able to do about another uh, quadruple next year. So, wow. so far, so good on the business growth side. Um, we're trying to hack it up out there. Uh, we've got, um, one of the cool things, Ryan, is actually uh, we've got about a third of our revenue through the channel. Um, about a third of our revenue comes through inbound and then a third of our revenue from outbound. So uh, that mix um, has been better uh, than uh, what we were really hoping for. Uh, so that part's really been helpful. Wow. So a third inbound, a third outbound, and a third through the channel. So what's the highest converting channel, just out of curiosity? Uh, referral partners for us. So we do a lot of work with instant response companies, uh, consulting organizations. And so with our model, um, it's, it's more comprehensive. And so the, the more savvy security organizations really like it because they know that when we roll in there, it's going to be, you know, really good quality. It's not just a throw it over the fence uh, or resell something that's inexpensive. Uh, so we, we get a lot of really good traction through uh, more consulting type uh, companies. Nice. That's awesome, ma'am. And have you systemized referrals through your existing client base as well? That's a great question. I would say we have, uh, we are not being as effective at, um, we, we do have a program. Uh, I would say the program is not uh, yielding the results that we would like yet. Uh, so it's, um, it's getting a little bit better. Uh, we've had a few uh, recently, but so far, not a significant amount of revenue coming in from customer referrals. Okay, excellent. And, and that's one of the questions I always ask people when they bring up referrals, because mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I, I've actually helped companies with. And so I was just out of curiosity, um, 
on that because there's a way to like create a referral led growth engine. And uh, I was wondering if that's what you're doing or not. Uh, but um, it sounds like you're you're doing amazing work if you're forexing your revenue one year and then forexing again <laughs> the next year. Like you're on the right path, right? And you're doing something amazing. So what's your primary, I, I know we talked about kind of the demand component of it, but like what's your primary go to market in terms of revenue growth? Is it like a classic AE structure with CS, customer success? Is it um, BDRs plus AEs? Like what, what's kind of like the structure of, of how you operate for that growth? Sure. So uh Pretty standard model. We have obviously a marketing engine, which obviously leads to the inbound. Uh, we've got BDRs and AEs uh, that support outbound through a variety of different uh, channels. And then we have obviously channel support as well, uh, head of business development, and then you know myself and uh, head of sales all sort of combine on the channel component. So a relatively uh, traditional model, though we get a little bit better leverage, I think, out of uh, some of our partnerships and some of our inbound than I think a lot of companies that are starting out new. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, so can you walk through in like a couple sentences, like what your solution is and who it serves, just so uh, you, the listener, sure. have some con context? Yeah. So the the 30 second version is a a most people are familiar with an MSP, which basically provides IT support for small, medium enterprises. Uh, somebody fix their laptop, you know, order out hardware, you know, build it. Uh, managed security services has traditionally been a Fortune 1000 type business. And, and the model is uh, Fortune 1000 smart CIO, CISO goes out, works their way through the 4,500 security vendors. Believe it or not, <laughs> there's 4,500. Uh, figures out the, you know, the 10 that they need. Proof of concept, upfront payment, put it all in place. And then once that's all done, they call an MSSP and say, hey, by the way, can you take our data feeds and our infrastructure, our components, our, our information, and let us know when something bad's happening so we don't have to watch it you know, every minute of the day. That's the standard model. And the model doesn't work in the small medium enterprise. So the small medium enterprise today gets targeted by the same exact groups that the large guys do. And this model of like, go out and fight your way through all these tech stacks. Which ones do you buy? How do you, how do you get nation state grade security? It's really hard. And so what we did was we took all the tools that we use for all these big companies over 20 years of doing this. Um, and we combined them into what we call foundational coverage, which is, it doesn't matter what company you are. If I walked into a large bank today and they said, hey, what are, and they had nothing. They said, what are the first eight things you would do? These would be the first eight things I would do. Um, we built all that into a package called foundational coverage and we sell it per user per month. And the okay. simplest, simplest analogy is like Netflix. Sure, you can go out and buy your old DVDs and you can buy a DVD player and you can buy, you know, connect it all up and what have you. What, what Netflix did was got the best in breed, you know, thrillers, comedy, whatever, put all the infrastructure in place, all the elasticity, compute, storage, and then they deliver it to you for whatever, $9.99 a month, right? So you have on-demand entertainment. We're basically the same thing. Um, you get best in class, nation state grade security, but you just get it per user per month. All the licensing, all the installation, all the implementation, all the upgrades, it's all included. And the mid-market loves it. They really like it. Oh yeah, I can imagine. It just simplifies the the hornets, or I should say the rat's nest of like options that they have to filter through, which takes months and months to probably get some kind of an idea that they're not even an expert at and then try and make a decision when they probably are not really capable of making a decision. 
you run into so many problems, but one of the, I was talking to somebody who's very, very smart in security. Um, and he basically said it's a two-year process. He goes, so if you wow. can take that two-year process and deliver on it in 30 days, and then also we tend to, by the time you get done with all that, we're still probably 50% cheaper. So it's just a, it's just a much better model. It's more, it's, it's like what we're used to, like nobody's out buying, you know, CDs and playing music on it anymore, right? You get it streamed to your phone for a sub- monthly subscription. Um, it's, it's the same model. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, that's brilliant. And um, the speed difference from two years to a month is, is a pretty enticing value prop. And then your background, I, I think would yield well to that as well. And Ryan, I don't know how much you've heard about like cyber insurance or the nightmare that is cyber insurance in the past year or two. No. Uh, I don't know if your listeners have, but one of the problems is cyber insurance really difficult to get. It's very expensive. Uh, prices like doubling every year. Um, and because we offer an entire package instead of just one point solution, um, any of our foundational coverage customers get a, a massive discount off their cyber insurance. They get a rebate. Uh, and so what we've done is we've worked with the insurance industry to say, listen, if they're getting nation state grade security, they should be rewarded by having a much faster application, easier process and a significant dif- discount. And so we're trying to we're trying to just make that whole process easier um, to sort of de-risk a company, both from a security standpoint and from a financial standpoint by uh, the um, de-risking their, um, their risk if, if something happens. So does that arbitrage the cost of your solution, just the difference in insurance alone? To, it depends, but it oftentimes funds a significant part of it. Okay. That's, yeah, that's smart. I mean, I, I love that. So, and then are you bootstrapped or funded? Uh, mostly funded. Yep. So we work with a, a very large VC, one of the largest VCs in um, Silicon Valley. And uh, essentially almost, um, I don't know what the right, almost um, incubated really and to a degree. So they were very interested in the MSSP space. I was interested in starting an MSSP. So um, it, was a, it was a well-made marriage. So who is that? Who's your funding provider then? Uh, with Forge Point Capital. So I don't okay. know. Uh, again, I don't know. You guys, uh, they're very big in the security space, probably 1.2 billion under management. Oh, wow. They've done three funds. Um, so they're, they're the real deal. That's awesome, man. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. Let's shift gears a little bit. I like. I love the way that the solution's designed, and you're. You're. I mean, it's smart because you're looking at everything holistically from just the exposure, right? The the cyber exposure, but then the monetary exposure, which I think is smart. You're not ignoring that. Um, I guess, like, as you go through, and and you're you're you kind of gotten to this point. Like, what was your your past leading up with this? Like, how did you get to the point where you're working at these big companies and you're like all right, I need to create my own product, create my own solution. And then just, and I don't even know what your vision is. would love to hear that as well. Like what's the end game for you, right? So how did you get here? And then what's your vision for the end game? Well, you got to remember there's like a gazillion, uh, not the technical term, but there's, a, there's so many companies in the mid-market. In the US alone, if you go 25 users up to like 2000, 
it's somewhere around 600,000 companies. Uh, that's in the U.S. alone. And so what was happening is over this 20-year journey, we kept running into the mid-market, but we were oftentimes not able to support them um, or help them because we were providing this sort of small piece. And so uh, they had to go do all this work, and we were sort of arm's length away, and then we couldn't ever get it to fit if they had 200 employees. It just wasn't going to happen. Uh, and so you know, it's been years where there's a thought around the mid-market needs support, but I think where it started making a lot of sense was uh, about three or four years ago, uh, the mid-market started getting attacked in a much more consistent and persistent manner. Uh, again, if your people, are, if a lot of your listeners aren't familiar with security, but there's a, we call it basically hacking as a service. So what was happening was you, before you sort of had to know your way around hacking to, to break into companies, nation states would do it and what have you. Um, a lot of it got turned into like a Windows application. You could literally like, like click new, hack, install a, you know, a type of uh, attack that you wanted to do and hit, hit go. I mean, it's, it's total point and click. And so the mid-market had to tar- start taking more sophisticated levels of security more seriously. So that opened up the demand side. But um, the, then you say, well, how do you service them? Well, you can't service them in the traditional way. You can't say, hey, here's one thing, buy it. And here's the next thing, buy it. And here's the next thing, buy it. You sort of have to come in with a more integrated solution. And it also has to be more financially easy for them to take down. Um, and so that's really where the idea of Soul Cyber came from, was saying, how do, I, how do we build something that if I'm 300 employees or 500 employees, this is like a no-brainer. Like it just solves a problem, takes it off their plate. And financially, it's like so easy to consume that doesn't make sense not to do it. And that's really sort of what, what was the genesis of it. Okay. So I, I love that. So how did you like, so what's the, the pricing structure that you leverage in? Cause I mean, it sounds like you've done it very creative. Let's say 300 people, how would you price it out? What would that look like um, for that? And then kind of like uh, versus trying to do it on their own, how would they, what would the cost structure be for like, what, like give me like a comparison, if you will. I'm really glad you asked this because one of my biggest pet peeves over my many years was you go to a vendor and they'd say pricing and you click on pricing and it'd say contact sales. And it just used to just like piss me off. It just irritated me. So you can actually go out to soulcyber.com slash pricing and our pricing is right on the website. It starts at $57 per user per month. No hidden fees. There's no like, oh, but there's an install cost or there's a cost if something happens and our SOC has to respond to it. It's just $57. Now that's, it's bands, obviously. So, you know, at 2000 employees, you're paying, you know, less than that. Um, But um, that's the model. And so we have, we have things we can add to that, but the core service is literally one SKU. And so we talk to these customers and they're like, wait, so instead of paying upfront for eight different items, like here's 50,000, here's 20,000, here's a hundred thousand, we just pay you monthly on one SKU and we get all the tooling we get it and we're like, yep. And so it's funny when you talk to customers, a lot of times they're really skeptical that it's really true. Yeah. Well, that means you built an amazing yeah. package, right? And so, so how did you create that on the back end? Is it, did you create, did you basically just buy enterprise licenses for all the core foundational elements? And then you have the ability to, or white label and basically our licensing agreements, and then you could just disperse those out. Or how did, how did you make that a reality? It's, Essentially, it's a real pain in the rear. Uh, otherwise, probably a lot of other people would do it. Um, there's a whole bunch of financial stuff you have to deal with on the backside that took us months and months and months. Uh, because if you're saying that you're doing Fortune 500 level security or nation state grade security, you can't go pick 
mom and pop endpoint product, right? You actually right. need something that is recognized, you know? Um, there's really two best-in-class endpoint products. There's really only one or two best-in-class email like that are really sophisticated. And so it, it constrains your choices. Uh, and then you have to go figure out how to build all that in the background and, and hide that from the customer so that they don't really have to worry about it. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very unpleasant financially like icky type of thing that you got to do on the back end. But once it's all done, then you can sort of run it like a widget, but it's a, it's a pain in the rear. So how long did it take you to build all that out? Uh, you know, we came out with our MVP about, you know, 16 months ago or so, or right about there and probably another, you know, 10 to 12 months okay. of building, getting all the pieces in place so that we could actually get something out the door. Okay. Yeah. Excellent, ma'am. So 10 to 12 months a year. And then did, when you started, was it just you? Did you bring on, were there other folks that you brought on instantly or other co-founders? No other co-founders, but the, we had, you have to build out a, a you know, some level of, uh, what's the right way of saying it? Um, in order to deliver the service, you actually have to have, a, you know, a cohort of people that can deliver 24 by seven. So there is a, there is a um, critical mass, I guess maybe is the best term of, of folks that you have to have. Um, and again, we do things in a really unique way. We don't hire like any tier one. Uh, no one in our sock is, is tier one. Everybody's tier two, tier three. So we're really providing a very sophisticated level of security. Uh, and again, I think this is why so far uh, we've had good success is the mid-market likes getting access to that in a model. They're, they always want it, but it was always so difficult to get it. And so this this model, I think, gives them a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so so switching gears a little bit, you know, it, it sounds like because of, and in, in AI is similar. Like I talked to one of the um, <laughs> one of the guests I had on previously. He actually sold the Snowflake, but <laughs> he invested like $80 million hmm. uh, in advance prior to, you know, not all in advance, but I mean, there's grants and everything that this guy did, <laughs> which is amazing. And I, I know you don't, you didn't take on a funding tranche that, that big, but I guess like walk me through exactly what, like the funding, like you know, what that process was like, how did you get it? Um, how long did it take? Just walk us through it kind of like step-by-step step. because I think this is one of the things, Scott, that most people struggle with either they bootstrap to start and then want to make the funding jump or they, you know, they're, they're perpetually trying to find funding. It seems like. Yeah. And there's two models out there and, and it's just difficult. Uh, I've been at a, I was at a IPO before this one um, and helped get them started. And, and that was funded through the traditional model. Um, the re the reality is, is, is there's two different ways to go about it. There's a traditional methodology, which is a founder has an idea. Uh, they spend the time, energy, and, and resources to build out a level of product that uh, the VCs view as uh, transformational. It's going to do something really unique and change the market. Uh, that is hard to do, right? It's hard to come up with that unique widget uh, that allows you to do it. Um, the other thing I'll tell you right now is, is, the, is a lot of it depends on timing of the market. As you can imagine, uh, funding today is very different than funding, you know, 12 months ago. And so, you know, as a founder, sometimes it's you get lucky or you don't get lucky depending on when you're raising funds and, you know, whether or not the Fed's decided to f give everybody a ton of money or take all the money back away. Right. Uh, so that also matters. Um, we were in a different model where, uh, you know, Forgepoint wanted to build an MSSP. Uh, and so there's a concept called incubated um, or, um, 
you know, early stage startups, uh, early, early stage funding. And that process is more where uh, they're, the, the VCs are supporting something that they feel has, has a vision. And so, you know, if you think of some of the famous incubators out in California, you can get in there. Obviously, the, the capitalization is very different on those models. Um, so a little bit lower risk for the founders. Um, obviously, lower reward if, the, if it does end up going big. So pros and cons to both models. If you've got something, you got the money um, or if you got something that you can build, you know, I, I, we'll use a term. We'll use something that everybody knows. Google, probably the most famous uh, funding uh, story ever. I think they raised a grand total of 20 million total. In their entire, I mean, to become the behemoth that they've become. So, you know, they had something that was so wildly scalable uh, that they were able to, to not really have to raise that much money um, to do it. So there's everything from them all the way down to obviously smaller companies that are, you know, they're looking to just get acquired by a larger company. And they're trying to, you know, build something relatively small, get a few million dollars in funding, uh, be a niche, and then get consumed by, you know, somebody that's trying to add on that feature. Okay. Makes a lot of sense, ma'am. Um so what is it? So it's kind of, is it like a kind of a Y Combinator model then where they, or is it, it sounds like it's way more involved than that. If they're providing the money up front. It's way more involved than that. Yeah. But it, you know, and I, at the end of the day, there are only a few like models out there. So it's, it's not a, it's, that is a model that some people are, are, are very familiar with. Mm-hmm. Ours is a little bit different, but it, yeah. Applicable. Yeah. That makes sense. So so what would you say are the top three biggest mistakes you've made along the way? In my career or, <laughs> or at SoulCyber? No, at SoulCyber. Let's say with this startup, I've, got right? a, I've got a ton. Because you're, you're a first-time founder, um, but correct. Yeah, you're a first-time founder. Yes, first-time um, founder. I was just making sure that wasn't an acquisition that you had. So you're a first-time founder. So like, and you're doing some things really well, obviously, based on the numbers you just threw out there. Um, but what I would say is like, hey, I'm sure there's some mistakes you've made along the way now that you're two and a half years into this, almost three three years into it when you include stealth, right? Um, so that's my question for you is kind of like, hey, what were the the biggest mistakes that you made knowing what you know now that if you went back in time and could reverse that, uh, you could you could execute on? That's a good question. Um, I've made so many mistakes that I think a lot of those mistakes have helped me. You know, a lot of your founders are... 22, 23, 24, right? And, uh, you know, when you've been running general manager for, you know, really large companies, you 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 run into the buzzsaw many times. And so, and, and I think that's actually helped me avoid some. And I'll give you a classic example. Um, we were told, and I don't know how accurate this is, but just in concept, uh, we were first to the table with changing our operating model. And the operating model is basically your plan on your spend, mm-hmm. right? So how much money are you going to spend? Um, having been through th- two previous recessions in 2000 to 2008, you know, over a year ago, I'm like, this isn't, this isn't going to be the, it's going to be bad for three months. This is going to be bad. It's going to be bad for 16, 18, who knows, right? But this is going to be a lot longer. Um, and so we actually um, slowed down our spending almost immediately back um, a year, uh, 14 months ago, oh, wow. um, something along those lines. And so we actually got ahead of the curve um, knowing that uh, getting additional funding, Slowing burn rate, extending roadmap, all that stuff was important. So there's something. And then I actually had to talk to quite a few founder friends that are younger and tell them this is what's coming. Um, you need to be prepared. Like, no, nah, we're told that we have really good financing. They'll be, they're there for us. And lo and behold, they were told, you know, later, you got to slow it down. You got to slow your burn rate. So um, 
mistakes we've made here, I, you know, not I wouldn't say we've run in, done anything overly stupid. Um, there were some technology choices at the very beginning that we kicked the tires on probably longer than we should have. Um, there were some really strong vested interests to use them. Uh, and so we gave them a fair shot. But we probably, you know, could have been out the door with MVP a month or maybe even a month and a half earlier. Uh, so there's some of that where you're just like, yeah, on hindsight, I probably just should have put my foot down sooner and, uh, you know, and, and, and said, hey, listen, I know you guys got vested interest, but we've got to we've got to move forward on some stuff that works. Um, but I think for the most part, um, we we haven't made any, you know, sort of I call it, I call it running into the corner. Uh, and we talk about this as a team a lot. Like we can make mistakes, but what we can't do is keep making mistakes where we end up in a corner and then you got to back all the way yeah. out and go a different direction. And so we try to really be smart and really be honest about saying, hey, if we go down this path, what does that look like? And we'll take the time to say, what does that look like in six months, a year, two years? Um, and if that's somewhere we're like, Ugh, that's really going to cause us problems, we uh, we obviously make a, make a transition. And thankfully... Um, as I, <laughs> I've got a lot of smart people, smarter than me, that are very good about saying, "Hey, Scott, you know that's that's probably not going to be a good idea in a, in a year from now." And who do you rely on for that? Like you mentioned, you have a lot of smart people around. Like, who are your? You don't have to give their names if you don't want to, but top three people that you know you turn to for that. I want to say fatherly or motherly advice, but the wisdom that, that you're talking about. <laughs> I think I think Ryan, one of the things that. I, w I would say if, if you're talking to, you know, if other founders are listening to this, you got to be really honest about like what your strengths and weaknesses are. Again, lesson learned over time. Uh, I think my strengths are really pulling good teams together uh, and being very pragmatic about what customers want, like not getting wrapped around with happy ears about what they say and then they're never going to buy it. I, or I'm sort of relentless about saying, does anybody care? Does anybody care? Because in tech, it's really easy to get excited about a widget that at the end of the day, nobody really cares enough to spend the money because they say they care verbally, but the only thing that matters is if they're willing to pay for it because it makes their life better, right? And so I'm very relentless on that. But when it comes to technology, there are just people that are way deeper into the tech than I am now. I, I'm an engineer by trade, um, but uh, you know my CTO is wicked smart. Um, I head of product management. Wicked smart, uh, you know, a CFO that that knows way more about the books and just being, you know, like when we had to make change the operating model, just way more effective and efficient at saying these are where you can get the biggest leverage without impacting these other components. And so there are people that have specialties. Uh, my job is to try to like pull that into a consolidated vision and then keep everybody moving down the path. All right, we'll see you all in the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.